The following podcast may contain strong language and is not suitable for all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I want pizza. <laughs> Turtle power. Welcome to episode 18 of the Better Look Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Wow. I'm going to celebrate our 18th episode because that's a weird thing that no one ever celebrates. I'm well, clapping them cheeks. It means our our podcast can vote. Yeah, that our podcast true. is old enough to vote now. Oh my God. And have sex. Legal. Wait, what? In any age bracket. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess in a in a world True. where yeah. yes. Also, I wanted to say our um that that number is is in contention. It feels. I'm weird. contesting it. Okay, that's fine. You're I feel allowed. like it's twenty plus. But whatever. I think we're not counting all. Of our I'm going with interviews. Jay because he's smarter than I am, and you know he is a master screen. Just trust him. Uh, I am your host, Sarah Smith. I'm a former congressional candidate from Washington's ninth district, and I'm joined by Adam. Shalom. Troy. Howdy. And corn. And we've got Jay sitting over there tooling around on his phone being our producer. Thank you, sir, for all that you do. Thank you, producers. Represent the producers. Thank your producers, everybody. Um, So we are going to jump right on into our what the shit. Uh, And then for we're going to talk about a couple things, just real lightning fast. And then we are going to be talking about what's going on with Egan O'Ryan on a local level and corruption and all the (sighs) bullshit. Because it's kind of incredible. And Bernie Sanders just drew attention to this race. So this is now nationally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I cool. love it. So we are jumping right on in here. I want to first, though, just real quick, um, special fucking Rave Survivor shout out to Kelly Bachman. Yeah. Who yes. called Harvey Weinstein out in her set. Rapists don't deserve to be comfortable. Harvey Weinstein should not be welcome anywhere. You don't get to to sexually harass and assault women and rape women and then go out in public like you can have a good time. You don't get to have a good time when you're out in public. So fuck that. Thank you, Kelly. Woo. Woo. Yeah, and Kelly. also fuck those beta bros, those little losing Yeah, fuck them. And fuck the MC who booed her. Fuck yeah. that guy. So let's jump right into our what the shit I believe corn has our first what the shit yeah I was going what the shit earlier this week um so and I want to thank uh one of our listeners a gal named Stephanie and she started listening um because we had Mike Yastramski on wow yeah and so she's in the same union as Mike um she works Mm -hmm. at Shoreline Community College and so she was checking us out because of the union stuff and thanks gal yeah thanks gal and when she had this what the shit moment she contacted me with it so if you you have a what the shit or any sort of stories that you think we should be talking about, like let us know first off. Um, but yeah, so what happened is I don't know if y'all are familiar, but first off, Como News, they're like always what in the shit us because <laughs> they're always like talking about homelessness in the context that like it's it's a heroin problem and that these people um, they need to be arrested and how they're ruining the city so they came out with a, a documentary earlier this year I think it was what was the documentary Seattle is dying yes yeah, Seattle is dying Jesus. and so they came out with a sequel that is called Tale of Three Cities and so it talks about Uh, I believe it's Seattle, New York, and Los Angeles as like the three cities where homelessness is just super bad. They make it sound like an unauthorized Dickens sequel. Yeah, right? Like some kind of Amazon knockoff publishing garbage. Yes, like we've got little orphans running around like with their their bowls. Like, please, sir, can I have some more? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the most mediocre of times. It was the most gentrified of times. Yes, it was. Please, Mr. Egan, (laughs) sir, might I be adopted? I'm only partially... (laughs) 
Oh my god! We'll get there. Yes, we will. (laughs) But like, it's not super surprising that um, Como is shitty. Like, we know what they are. We know that they're pushing a right wing agenda. Um, But what was super surprising to Stephanie is that she was listening to Cube ninety three, which brands themselves as the number one hip hop station in Seattle. Um, And during their entire wake up morning show, they were pushing the Tale of Three Cities documentary. Um, so not only were they telling people to watch it, um, but the, the three hosts, their names are Strawberry, Lizette Love, and Jenna. Oh. Yeah, those are their names. Wait a minute, what now? Liz- I mean, I'm corn, so I guess I can't judge. Uh, don't you dare. Don't <laughs> you dare. We said Matt. good day. We said yeah. good day to them. So, yeah, they spent the whole morning really just pushing that right-wing agenda that It's not a homeless problem. It's a heroin problem. And they were saying how Seattle City Council and Seattle Police Department aren't doing enough and that they've basically legalized heroin and that they need to just arrest everybody um, or else we're all going to get the plague and die. The plague? Yes. Like the bubonic plague? They literally. They were like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Black lung. No, they basically they tried to be like, oh, we care about these people. But like if we don't arrest them, they're just going to keep doing it. And then we're all going to get sick. Question. Are they morning shock jocks or like their morning zoo thing? So I often go to my morning radio disc jockeys for both health advice and social, you know, uh, awareness. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I whenever I'm like, how what do we do about the homeless problem? I'm gonna tune into my local seven AM shock jockey and see what they have to say. But the part that's shitty is like great. That definitely sounded morning shock jockey. Right. Yeah. Let's get let's get Troy on the air. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. No, but the part that makes it extremely shitty is like hip hop music. Uh, historically like that is around struggle and it's around whether it be homelessness or drug addiction or things like that like for for a station to profit off of that type of money and market to that type of demographic and then to push this narrative is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. They are doing what every corporation does when they're trying to corporatize these kinds of things, this, that type of music. They're trying to profit off of other people's suffering and act like it's totally different. It's not different. The suffering is suffering is suffering. These are people who experienced homelessness, who experienced addiction, who got out of it. Do not turn around and act like they were animals because they managed to make it big in their career. That does not make them any less human when they were homeless. So what you're saying is they could monetize this other kind of misery and they can't monetize homelessness yet. So we'll find a way. Well, Soylent Green was people. That's true. The way they're monetizing is through these stupid documentaries and pushing this agenda. So also, I mean, they've monetized the the drugs have been monetized in the first place. The fact of the matter is those many of the corporations that Sarah just mentioned, those are the same people who are making untold ungodly sums of money off the same drugs that are that help get people on the street ultimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to profit off of, they've realized they can't profit off of the end result of that profit. The end result of things like opioid addiction, they're making money off you, hand over fist. Well, you're still getting medication from those corporations. You're still going to those doctors, still getting those prescriptions. But then when you no longer can afford it, that's when you're not monetarily relevant to them. So they have to find a way to get rid of you to make room for more people they can abuse and send down that spiral into that destruction and monetize. So they'll make a documentary about them instead. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and so... (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Quite precisely. And so I do as I do. And I got on the the Twitter sphere and started tweeting a storm up and tagging all the people, tagging iHeartRadio and and Strawberry and all them. And so Strawberry tweeted me back um, and he said, no agenda, just... no agenda, just empathetic for the people living in unsanitary and inhumane conditions. Bullshit. Yeah. And Boo. so that to me, it's like that's typical Seattle empathy is, oh, we we care about these homeless people and we want them to be OK. But fuck you, throw them in jail. I We want to help homeless people move somewhere else. And then I think Troy had our second what the shit. Wow. My what the shit is pretty full. It my It's just a big pile of warm shit and it starts Mm. with Zuckerberg decided that he would uh, you know it wasn't Zuckerberg it was PR team decided Mm -hmm. that they would reinvent the reason and the origins of Facebook which originally started as something called face smash face boot when you mistype it into your web that's right forever (laughs) forever and ever it's same for me Um, and what they did uh, you know Zuckerberg literally hacked in to his college database to pull images of other students without their consent to create a hot or not literally said something to the effect of um, I want to read but I'm having a rage stroke so I can see as red (laughs) Um, you know you don't have to be uh, attractive to get accepted into Harvard but you do but we will judge you anyway it's like wow and so the new tale is that Zuckerberg, when he created Facebook for his community to discuss, you know, the Iraq war and all the things that were going on. And he, you know, that was his community that he was building it for, not for, you know. What is, uh, who comprises his community? Well, everybody, I guess, that he tracks and pulls all of the data from, which, interestingly enough, there were some people that found they took issue with his um, statements to the public that here Facebook is really committed to privacy and you want your stuff taken down, you can do it and that's fine. But in court, so says one of our favorites. What is her name? Katie? Uh, Katie Porter. Katie Porter. Who is a rock star. We love Katie. Love her. And when you, when you watch her and she gets that litigation mode on and she starts to question and you just, you can see where she's going with it and then she's just like, slams harder than anything you could have expected and watching Zuckerberg uh, I well I know I should I oughta and when she ended by saying would you commit to doing the same work that these underpaid people who get nine minutes of therapy time personal time to grieve over the horrors that they see when they're moderating and it's the worst of the worst it, it was a host of things. Zuckerberg got his ass handed to him, which I'm presuming will be rewritten to say Zuckerberg won and became <laughs> king of the United States. And the internet. And not not only is it nine minutes, but it's nine minutes of supervised uh, time a day. So, so they stare at you while they, you they cry. They watch you while, you while you cry. Yeah. So these what? are people that are moderators and what they do is they deal with all of the shame, all of the stuff, all of the like uh, they, they bear the brunt of having to look at reported posts that show suicides and rapes and murders and child abuse and they go through that and they have a very uh, short window of time so they get a nice power uh, ex- uh they get exposed to for a shift mm-hmm. this stuff and they get 
aside from the breaks, nine minutes to go and have a supervised cry time. Supervised tear time. Where a person stares at them as they stand in the stairwell and cry. <laughs> it's oh. just, it's Mark Zuckerberg. He just stands there and stares No, she at said, you. would you want to do that work? Would With you his... want to do that job? And then he very lizardly was like, allow me to partake in a beverage for my parched windpipe. He's like, I am human oh, thirsty. Sorry, windpipe, singular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only have one. Exactly. I do not have two. <laughs> I am do you not... do, fellow humans? <laughs> yes. So, you know, the, the idea that he would reinvent or try to, that, or he was counseled to reinvent himself and the purpose, because he built Facebook for rating people as to how sexy they were. My real question and the question that people want to know is, did he bring his um, butt pillow with him so he could sit like six inches taller and pretend that he was one of the people? You know, the people but he did ask if he could leg. be just a little bit in front of everybody when they took the photo. <laughs> and um, He's like, yeah. hello, I'm Mark Zuckerberg. I am very tall but very powerful. <laughs> Why don't I see a tractor for me to stand up on and take my picture? <laughs> and he very conveniently asked uh, for a bathroom break right before Katie Porter's questioning. And I think that that was really great timing because I'm sure that he shit his pants from that. He had to put his diaper on so he could be prepared to shit his pants. Also, kudos to AOC. She got him too. So it was a wonderful, wonderful day to realize that Zuckerberg is all of the horrible things you would think he is and probably worse. Yes. Way worse. And I believe we're mixing it up a little bit and we're doing a third what the shit because Adam had something he wanted to uh, talk about real quick. Hell yeah. This is uh, partially what the shit, partially a small news breakdown. Um, (laughs) So what the shit lit? <laughs> exactly. Aww, baby news breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> what the nugget? Uh, <laughs> what the nugs? <laughs> so speaking of nuggets, no. Uh, <laughs> um, so many of you may have heard that the Chicago Teachers Union is on strike. Um, today marks day six. Tomorrow is going to be day seven of the teachers union strike. Um, here I am as a uh, proud union member. Um, of the at various times the Washington Teachers Union in DC, the Seattle Education Association in Seattle, Washington, and now the Highline Education Association. Um, Jay, our lovely producer, has just taken a picture of me so that we can rep Union Strong. Woo! So, um, the Chicago Teachers Union is uh, they've been on strike now for over a week, are uh, fighting for uh, not just pay and benefits, as um, many many news outlets will have you believe. But um, they're doing something similar that a lot of other uh, unions are doing these days where they're fighting for um, the sort of they call them the common good um, clauses. So things like smaller class sizes for students, things like having more nurses, having librarians, having more paras, para educators in the classroom, those who are not um, certified, certificated teachers, but are working with uh, students, an important part, and unionized as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're um, the paras are often unionized as well, um, and which, by the way, uh, Sumner, uh, which is a local area, a local city, my hometown. Town. Is it really? Yeah, born in Puyallup, oh. raised Ooh. in Sumner. Yeah. Right so the su- <laughs> so uh, the Sumner para educators are on uh, just went on strike today as well because. Uh, Again, they're fighting for the same thing. It's not just pay. It's not just benefits. It's those common good things. It's actually fighting for the students. And I think what makes us say what the shit is why 
why are they even having to fight for this? Why is this a thing? Like, just get them their fucking benefits and get them what they need. Common sense. And I think for me, like, I'm turning around saying what the shit to this because what the shit, that is incredible. They're taking so much time out of their day. Not, they're not fighting for pay and benefits. It's fighting for the librarians and the nurses. Yes, yes. And educators and the kids. Kids need smaller class sizes. And that's what it really boils down to, right? It's it's, uh, basic human decency. It's recognizing hard work. But I want to say to my friends out there in Sumner, I grew up there. I, we're not Southern, but we sound like this. No, uh, it was like a, a beautiful uh, place where grass was farmed. Um, yeah. yeah. You can farm. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and I don't mean marijuana. Um, and yeah. I can hear that. I, I posted or tweeted about this. Uh, and so I'm sure everybody listening already knows. Um, but <laughs> when I can hear the the good old boys saying, uh, you know, they're just winding up to be like America. But here's the thing. Representation is not revolution. It's the least your employer can do working hard and earning money for your family is about as American. And I said this and I will not take it back. The dairy freeze, which is something that you go downtown Sumner downtown, mind you, and you get yourself maybe a burger, big old burger. You get yourself a hand dipped ice cream cone or a shake and it's delicious. And that's right in the heart of Sumner and labor. Also heart of Sumner. Support your union. Do you also tie your horse up to the hitching post when you go to get your your ice cream at the Dairy Freeze? I did. Um, Fun fact about horses. If you take a horse somewhere and you hitch it and you're very drunk, you can just take it off the reins and let it ride you home. It'll take you home. Until you can't no more. Unless you you rent it. ride it down the Old Town Road. (laughs) (laughs) We miss you, Bill. Miss you, Bill. Yeah, we do miss you, Bill. It'll it'll literally find its way home. Horses like to be home. And they're like, I hate this. Let's go back. They're they're smart animals. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, um, so to add on, to add on, you know, the thing that I don't add on. (laughs) What makes me say what the shit in this is, um, as a as a teacher who's, you know, I've I've had to vote for uh, strike authorizations before. We actually like when teachers strike, they are putting their paychecks on the line. That that when they step out of the classroom, it's not that they're taking a sick day. They're not. They don't have a sub to cover. Those people are called scabs. when they when they take that time off, it's coming out of their own paycheck. And so these teachers in Chicago are fighting for things. They are fighting for um, more social workers, special ed case managers, nurses. Um, Mayor Lightfoot, she promised uh, that she was going to boost her invest boost Chicago's investment in neighborhood schools um, during these last negotiations, but she refused to put any of it in writing. Which is as good as bullshit. Boo. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. It's the oldest trick in the book. So if there's anything that like is there anything we can do as non union members to support these folks that are striking? Good question. Yes. Corn. There are so many good <laughs> there are so many things you can do. Thank you for asking, Corn. Among the other th- among the things you can do, um, there are there are funds that are set up. I think the Chicago's teachers union has a fund that people can donate to um, to we'll, help, we'll do some research and, and put it up on the. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, also, just be vocal. Talk to people, um, especially you know when it comes to when it comes to the social medias, the Facebooks, the Twitters, Instagrams, whatever. Uh, express your support. Wear red. Hashtag red for Ed. Um, and I mean, if you if you want to do some good in your own community. Get involved in your own local school district, in your own neighborhood school. Volunteer some hours and work with some cool kids. Kids are cool. 
It took me about three clicks to get into this, but nearly a million children could lose their eligibility for free lunches. And there are people, there are children in Chicago that are being turned away from food and threatened with... Uh, not being able to participate in any of the other uh, extracurricular stuff. Feed your goddamn kids. So we are going to move into our big news breakdown section. Big news breakdown. So we are joined by Jay for this big news breakdown because what? Adam is super sick. We're and, like, uh, get we out of dismi- here. We dismissed him shortly after his what the shit because the poor man is like sweating actively in the chair next to me and I don't want to get whatever plague he's carrying. Uh, so I sent him to live with the homeless people you in did. Seattle. Oh. <laughs> by the way, a joke. Uh, that's a joke based off of our last what the shit. Uh, also, I'm just really interesting. So you're welcome, by the way. Oh, yeah, that. Is, that is one that is, of the other reasons. Those are that is yeah. no, and I think he does have the plague, and uh, he reached into my bag of goldfish, <gasps> and I'm not touching them now. He <laughs> just threw them in the. When did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I, Wait, just... I might have been eating them. <laughs> oh, you were. I watched it. No, you were. Honestly, I was shocked that he would do such a thing. Rude. Like, oh, right? God. So, Adam, sorry if you're hearing this uh, after the fact, and I'm dead. And Troy's dead. I don't know why, though. I bought two bags of goldfish, so, like, I'm good. All right. Yeah. Backup goldfish. In case someone with the plague <laughs> shove their hand in your You're going to leave them, bag. and I'm going to eat them still. Perfect. So we are going to jump right on into our big news breakdown, where we are talking about something that uh, many, many weeks ago, this was just a microcosm of Seattle politics, and recently, it has burst forth from its <gasps> little chrysalis into national politics. So Dumb. now, Bum. we get to talk about corruption in Seattle politics and we are going to start by talking about Egan O'Ryan's very weird campaign. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so is he the worst or just the total worst? Uh like two thirds of the worst like the rrr. the rrr. we don't want to give him the st- or is the, it more like the he's the worst not the worst? Yeah. Well, he's certainly not the most racist candidate in the race. So that's good. That's yeah, positive. if you're including like Gold Bar and I mean, is he? I think he is. Is he Gold Bar? Is he the most racist person? No, no, that's a city. Oh. (laughs) I was like, who is that? I don't even know who that is. I don't even know. How have I never heard of it? Yeah, they're not on my radar. (laughs) (laughs) They're a little north, I believe. Are we sure he's not the most racist, though? Because one of our things that we want to talk about is uh, his Facebook post that was recently revealed about seeking an egg donor. Have you guys seen this? Oh, man, this is so weird. No, I don't know. It's what, yeah. so weird. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read to the class. Okay. Um, so seeking egg donor compensated. Uh, so my progress on finding an egg donor has had some pitfalls. So I thought, hey, might as well crowdsource it. Will you help? Um, so looking for <laughs> Latina, Italian, Spanish woman, fine if partially white or black. Um, or Asian Fine. or Native American or Middle Eastern. Think United Colors of Benetton. <laughs> oh, my God. He said United Colors of Benetton. It is quite literally the most oh, disgusting no. trope that you. It's the joke. Hold on, though, because this isn't even it. 
so 5'2 to 5'9, 21 to 29, small to medium build, distinctive features, great, educated, healthy, into the whole gay dad thing. Um, I hesitate to put it out there because it's very specific. There are reasons behind all my choices. They aren't set in stone. Ultimately, ultimately I'm looking for an egg donor that feels right. PM me with leads uh, you have checked in on. Donors can be anonymous, but would prefer if there's an openness towards some future knowing. Thanks for your help. I'm throwing a Hail Mary. Happy if her name is Mary, too. So let me get this straight. Um, he has reasons for why he's a racist. He's not a racist. He wants a relatively lightish brown baby. A question. Do Okay, so that, if it was a friend of mine and I read that, I'd be like, you take that down. Oh, I would be like, hi, here are all the reasons that this should definitely be pulled off. So uh, real quick, I just want to do this check so that everybody realizes. Uh, just a quick poll of the table. I am a gay. <gasps> what? Yeah. Uh, In my good Christian suburbs? Yeah. you. <laughs> on this day, the day of our Lord? Yes, absolutely. Um, you, Corn, are a... Uh, I exist. You exist. Yeah. And that's all yeah. that matters. Yeah. Uh, Jay? I'm mixed race. I'm both yeah. Hispanic and white. Mostly I'm talking about sexuality here oh, in I'm reference straight. to the... Okay, yeah, yeah. Because our friend Egan Orion is playing up the gay card and I just want to kind of do a quick poll so that people realize that we're not just being homophobic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm bisexual. I'm half okay. gay on my mother's side. Hey, so you have half an opinion? No, you yeah, don't. I, you yeah. have all the opinion. 50% of what I say is relevant. No, but I think the, the worst thing that he says is uh, fine if partially white or black. Partially. Yeah. You can have it's a... fine. Li- other, he loves the pure bloods. Oh, but yeah. But it's yeah. fine. The mud blood. I'm sorry, that's Voldemort. Uh, that's um, Voldemort, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what about the what about the uh, no fatties thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, slender yeah. build and distinctive features are great. What is that Slender mean? woman. <laughs> <laughs> slender lady. Slender woman. Actually, it's really interesting. I take a lot of offense to this. And part of the reason yeah, is- Yeah, so be- do all of us. I'm just but, in a mood. <laughs> well, for me, the reason I take offenses to is because I grew up mixed race. And so on one side of the town, I was white. And on the other side of the town, I was Mexican. And so- People like me, we didn't get an identity. We didn't get a chance to actually do that. We had our identities ascribed to us. It was said, you are that thing. And what really bothers me about that is uh, fine if half white. Because really what he's saying is that you can be half white, but as long as you have that brown blood. You just have to be more brown. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And and Jay... um I, I think about it from the tastelessness and the and the it's really re- repulsive. Um, and maybe he was at the end of his rope because he'd worked so hard to harvest the eggs of the city. And everyone was like, nope, not you, jerk. Um, but the idea that somebody would commodify like to, to look at and say from their perspective, not understanding what it means for the child, but from their perspective, have their united colors of Benetton child. That's it, what a that's marginalization by people who are marginalized. What the fuck? I'm just gonna throw it out there real quick. Why did he use United Colors of Benetton? Because he's gay. Because he's a terrible person. Because like, he's a gay. But nobody really knows what that is unless you're like from he's the He's an older 80s. gay. He's an older gay. And older what he, gay. he literally, that, that was a big. He could have just said like the gap. And that would have been beneath him. Oh, God. 
Okay, so I think I'm out of the loop. I actually don't know what that phrase means. It's so there's a uh, Benetton is a a, a a kind of a, a clothing line lifestyle sort of like was the, right it's I, in the eighties. I'm not. I think it's still around. Um, it was actually part of Stranger Things. Oh, <laughs> oh <okay. season. laughs> but that's that's during the that's when he grew up. But it was a luxury. Um, I believe there's still the uh, Benetton downtown Seattle. Um, I went and bought some pants there two, three, five years ago or something. But the point being, it's a, it's a sign of you've arrived. It's a sign of wealth. And boy, I'll let you know that gay, white gay men are, and I'm not saying other people aren't, uh, you know, criminals at this, but they like to show they're wealthy. They like to, they've got a lot of expendable income. And I'm, I'm just going to make something very clear for people in case we didn't highlight this. This post we just read is a post from Egan O'Ryan, who is currently running for city council against Shama Sawant in D3. And it's from October of last year. So pretty. Yeah, this is not one of those aged tweets no. from 2009 that you're like, wait a minute. No, I already yeah. repented and said I was wrong and like did try to do better. No, this is a year old. This thing, it's really, really offensive because it's like having the color of your skin isn't an accessory you choose, right? Yeah. It isn't like a fucking Louis Vuitton bag that you take out. And this is how he's treating it. And to me, this is really problematic for somebody who wants to run for city council and represent people, especially people out of the the fourth, the third, third. district, uh, where there's a lot of people who've been displaced. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of communities are facing gentrification. It's just this is unreal. I, it's really offensive. So the thing that really like sits ill with me is exactly what you talked about, like that this is this is some kind of accessory. And like he says in there, we have our reasons for picking this stuff. Listen, if these are the asks you are going to make of of people on your Facebook friends list, if you're going to ask them for one of your eggs and give them all these very specific, very racist, very just sizest, ridiculous criteria, um, you better fucking illustrate what those reasons are, my good man. The post was also public, so like he can't be like, oh, someone, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, someone he put just it out faked there. it. Yeah. Oh, so I just want to say this: that um, <laughs> it breaks my heart to, and and this is true. When I think about the struggle that we faced, the LGBTQ community to survive, to survive a a plague that wiped out a large portion of our community and to see my older white gay males feel a sense of pride because they've crossed over into the other side where they're the NIMBYs and they're protecting their it, it is repulsive and I've lost friends I, I'm right now I'm actively going to be taking a survey of all my gays and I'm going to be like what up are you what are you doing here and how are you letting this be the example no, I think that's the thing that's really important, right? It's when we're talking about representation, you can't forget about where you came from. Right. And this is the thing that's really critical, right? Egan Orion has received just ridiculous amounts of money from Amazon. And the Republicans. And they don't give a shit about the kind of person he is. No, literally all they care about is that it's not Shama. And so the next thing that we wanted to talk about, about him being shitty, is um, there's some grinder ads going on right now um and so kind of connected to like the corruption stuff we talked about the shady ads last week through the stranger and we'll talk about that a little bit more later um but someone uh k-u-o-w um so they have an article out from someone named bronson um and it says seattle man goes on grinder instead of love he gets an attack at it against sawant rude 
what why yeah and it's he is uh, oh ryan i'm so like i'm flat i'm flustered when i talk because i'm so annoyed by this like what a fucking just sexist bullshit way to do this like you are trying you're doing what trying to exploit the gay community like through a through a dating app are you fucking kidding me so here's the thing this is so gross it feels so gross it's absolutely disgusting because here's the other piece of this was it Egan? I can only just see the little snippet of the top of it. Um, so so here's the thing. In this, I don't know if this is like, if it has any PDC issues and we'll or not. And we'll post it like, so you guys can make I'd it. Love it's to on the web. He, yeah, he, he, yeah, he turned it over. But um, so what it is, is it's a picture of Shama looking pissed. So here's the picture. Yep. And uh, Which it, is one of my favorite Shama faces, by the way. And yeah. it says, uh, Seattle needs a more effective city council. And so it's just... Uh, it's super shady that yeah they're going on grinder trying to target people that like would support Egan and try to make them think that Shama sucks. But here's where it gets even shadier. So first of all, shame on you, Egan, if that was you because you are billing you're you're banking on your gay and that is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. When you're accepting money from the people who want to keep our trans people in their, you know, like you uh, out of restrooms, we want to keep people from getting married. We want to like all of the Republican stuff. But not only that, if the Republicans did this, if this was a pack that supported it without Egan knowing they are playing the gays. So the right wing people are hoping that you hop on here and you're like, oh, yeah, she's shrill. It's ridiculous. And they're playing you. And to like, this is just, it's such, it's such gay washing. Like these are, these are the corporations that also go out and say, oh, look, I made a rainbow beer can. It's fine that I donate to anti-trans organizations. It's fine that we fought against LGBTQ marriage. Here's a rainbow colored coupon for Chick-fil-A. Like these are the same corporations that are donating to this guy. This is a log cabin Republican under any other name that is exactly what he is he doesn't represent seattle gays get the fuck out of here shama does she yells at people and wants equal rights for everybody shama has done more to defend and protect and unwaveringly so i love her for that because she gets it and anybody that has lived through and lost people to disease to uh hate crimes shame on you but the other thing about this that is infuriating is he is the the director of Pride Fest, which means this corporatization of Pride. Um, I, I, we've talked about this in the past. I want to set up a booth. It's like, give us your Pride junk and we'll recycle it for you. And then we'll do a story about how much garbage we had to deal with. The other piece of this, too, is the man is good at taking a thing, packaging it up, making money from it like flash mobs. That's we, t- we talked about people profiting off of the drug, off of drugs and homelessness, and then th- that's when they try to kick you out. This is the same thing. He's fucking trying to profit off of LGBTQ folks. So I did a little real time research, and uh, it's paid for by a pack called People for Seattle. They admitted to it, um, and all I can find so far is they claim to be progressive, pragmatic. And they want to get things done leadership, city council. Um, And one of the people who is part of it is former city council member Tim Burgess. 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 Yeah, yeah. Burgess. And Burgess. Burgers. 
well, let's talk about this, right? This is a really clear example to me of what I like to think of as class warfare, right? Yes. Because what's going on here is Egan Orion is trying to find some way to divide up the people who are actually being effective. And to say that, for example, when we say that the city council has been ineffective, ineffective at keeping the fucking head tax in place. Why? Yeah. Because people like Amazon, they come in and they support these sellout fucking shills like Egan Orion, who then go through... They support every single thing that their buyers want them to do. And just like the way that Egan Orion wanted a child to be his accessory, he's now Amazon's little accessory. That's all he is to them. And he just fucking goes around and does whatever they want. And let me just tell you this. So they're complaining that trauma is difficult to work with. You know what? Good. She should be difficult to work with. Someone on city council should be difficult to work with. The city councilwoman who is not owned by Amazon, who doesn't take large corporate donations, who isn't in the pockets of all these bullshit organizations that are like, I made a rainbow can, therefore I'm accepting. And now after July's over, I'm going to go back to hating the gays. No, she's not owned by any of those corporations. Good. She should be hard to convince to take over the head tax. She should be hard to convince to fight against rent control. She should be hard to convince that we should give our, our city money to private corporations corporations and private developers good she should be hard to work with you know what you know where she's not hard to work with people who need the help when i watched the care and the concern and the way that she treated uh sheree lascelles our dear friend um repeatedly just like nope i'm come to me nope i'm gonna like unwaveringly but the thing that is ridiculous about this is what egan will say about the fact that his opponent refused to participate in the voucher program in favor of raising massive amounts of cash outside washington lie the other thing about this too is saying that the socialist alternative leaders are the ones that are driving the campaign no constituents in need you might want to meet a couple yeah and so i think you're exactly right troy uh and that's what makes this so just toxic this kind of behavior and this kind of when we see money involved in politics like this right and so just recently we got a chance to talk about uh today right egan orion had an ad that went out in the stranger and we talked about that on the last episode but finally we were finding out what the penalties for that were and they're not very much at all, right, Corn? How much? Yeah, so we just got word um, there's going to be a hearing soon. And so next ep- episode, we'll update you on how that goes. But what's proposed um, by the uh, Ethics and Elections Committee is a $1,000 fine. Uh, so to be clear, in that same memo, they talked about how the total cost of the ad was only $6,300. That means the stranger sold out for $6,000. Which is an their incredible. Cover. Yeah. They sold out their cover. They sold out their endorsements. They sold out everything that's supposed to be about their name for that price. And the city of Seattle says, you know what? Even though you've got all this money pouring in from Case, right? The 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 pack. The that chamber. Amazon Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Millions. Right. For Amazon. his race. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's totally okay. You just have to pay a thousand dollar penalty. And this is the problem with this shit is that the moment you only assign a thousand dollars of a penalty to this kind of thing, what you do is you tell other candidates, it's totally okay to break the law as long as you've got the money to pay the fine, which is exactly what the fucking rich are doing right now. When they get admissions to college, they get uh, all the free benefits they want. They get everything that they need because we've socialized the rich and we put the fucking weight of it back on the backs of the poor. And so we've got people uh, of color that accidentally voted in the wrong area and were jailed and then you've got somebody who violated law and what does he get uh, a literally he could just open up his you know uh, united colors of benetton bag filled with i'm certain you know currency from france gag anyway i want to i want to do say i want uh, when do we want to read this there's he has a statement related to his baby do we want to read it oh yeah 
Because he curious. says, okay, I'm just going to read it real quickly. I know we're trying to uh, get this close because I'm about ready to have a rage stroke and I'm, I'm not, I think I'm going to start smoking pot. I mm. want to address something that's come up over the past couple of days, dug up from my personal Facebook, which was published so everyone Publicly. could see. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Personally broadcast to the world uh, <laughs> about my desire to become a parent. Although of it's the being- the United Colors of Benetton. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, I think he meant president. Uh, he meant okay. the United Singular Color, but it's okay if there's a little bit of blending. Just a little. Uh, he says, um, it's being used for political gain. It's important that I address it directly. It's not being used for political gain. It's being used to evaluate your character, sir. It has been found lacking. In my journey to become a parent as a gay man, I posted a search for an egg donor. When I wrote it, I wanted a baby uh, that looked like me and my partner who is Mexican. Laudable. I mean, I get it. That that's I have other friends in that situation. This is something straight and gay people uh, who can't conceive or bear children do every day. And yet, by the way, something that his donors who have maxed out on his campaign, the Republican donors, want to take away from yes, him. Yes, they do. Yep. So the journey towards being a parent, something be, uh, because of societal and cultural norms, I never thought I'd be able to do it. Sorry. Um Troy's having a moment of like rage stroking out, I think. Yeah, I am. I, I'm uh, as as somebody who has gone through this process and it didn't work out for me. This enrages me. Um, I wasn't looking for a designer baby. I was looking for a baby. Anybody uh, as an education for me, it's very a personal journey that I respectfully intend to keep that way. So that means no more comment. Uh, but words matter and it's important. And this is where he says, I can never know the experience of people of color. I need to acknowledge the privilege I live with and be a better advocate and ally. As a gay man, I often see allies being clumsy in their allyship, but to have advocates that are willing to lean, uh, to learn and evolve is key. What is it? Now, do you learn and evolve while, like before, during, or after you're rolling around and max donations from people who want to strip your rights from you, Egan Orion? You. Do you, do you evolve before or after you get exactly what you want in your designer baby? And then you're like, oh, no, I should have learned better from the way I asked. But since I've already gotten it, I don't really need to do any growing. You ain't it. And if you want to be an ally, then don't run against Shama Sawan. Yes. And if you want to be dumbass. an ally, if you, if you want to support your gay community, don't vote for Egan Orion because he does not have your best interest. His interests at, are the only thing he cares about. And I'll just say, as somebody who is Hispanic, if you are Hispanic, don't vote for Egan Orion. This is the only time I will ever say don't vote for a candidate because it's an outright, you're outright selling out your people. You're outright selling you out your people. You have never said group. that. You, yeah. are, you are trying to say, I don't think I've ever said that. You, are, I you are trying to say that it is okay for a person like that who is running to represent people to use your race as an accessory. You are not a fucking accessory. Not while people that are trying to cross the border as refugees are being put into cages and camps and dying and they have that quote-unquote perfect skin color that he's shopping for. You do not get to take money from people that want to strip rights away. I am telling you, sir, you're destroying the fabric of our society with this nonsense. I was just going to say, sir, this is not an Arby's. This is Seattle City Council. <laughs> Get it the fuck together. Uh, but that does bring us to our next section, right? <sighs> yes, Where it does. We're going to get a chance to talk about a lot of these issues. Where... It's really important we talk about this part because Shama Sawant got a shout out from Bernie Sanders via oh, tweet. Oh, yeah. So don't vote for Egan because he didn't get a shout out from Bernie Sanders no. via tweet. But no. we 
are so excited because we are actually going to be jumping into a discussion. Uh, me and Jay are going to sit down with Sean Scott, who's running in D4. Yes. And yeah. he was also shouted out as not getting any Amazon money and actually trying to fight because Bernie recognizes the struggle in Seattle as a struggle for Seattle's soul and Seattle's progressivism. And he so. recognizes talented people to do good work. Real recognizes real. And he's going to be joining us by telephone. This is the first time for the Better Left Network. So we're going to be doing a remote uh, interview. And so I'm really excited to do that. And I'm really excited to sit down with Sean, who is a democratic socialist. And that is going to be really cool. Okay, thank you guys so much for sticking with the Better Left podcast. We are joined today by a city council candidate for Seattle City of Seattle District 4, Sean Scott. Hi, Sean. How's it going? It's going very well. This is our very first time as a podcast network doing a remote interview. So I'm super excited. I have no idea how this is going to sound. <laughs> but we are here with uh, Jay is going to be my co-host because the Seattle City Council consistency is key. We've been doing me and Jay the whole time. So hi, Jay. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sarah. It's good to get a chance to sit down. We've heard a lot about your campaign, so we're very excited to get a chance to ask you some questions. Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This is going to be, uh, it's going to be really, really fun. Y'all, I follow you on uh, social networking and see some of the points y'all make. And um, they're always really, really, really smart um, observations about local politics. So I'm excited to dive in. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I we're just going to kind of dive right into it. Um, we'll start with something kind of easy. Get you just loosen up the interviewing muscles a little bit. So as a candidate, I know yeah. that you are probably super swamped because our team and I myself have literally been there. Um, just dozens of canvassing. I know you have them going like four nights a week right now. You've done 16 forums in the last like month or something crazy. Uh, staying in that headspace is really it's not an easy thing for candidates to do. And I'd firsthand totally understand that so when you do have time if you have the availability how do you wind down how do you keep yourself going what's your what's your self-care thing what's the one thing you do or the one hobby you have that keeps you going gives you that that space to just breathe and unwind yeah i mean it's it's a couple of things i think um actually running is a favorite pastime of mine so i like um at least once a week trying to go on a a run of three or four miles. I would typically be going a, a little bit longer than that. Um, I've done a half marathon, a few 10 mile runs and things like that over the last couple of years that um, I find are really, really their character building um, and help me alleviate stress and take some of the weight off. Um, but the, you know, the campaign, especially because most of the times that I would like to run, we're, we're getting ready to canvas and things like that. So, um, and then also I can't necessarily be doing, you know, a half marathon or a 10 mile run and then turning around and having to hit doors. So I have to shorten it. Um, and so that's one of the main things that I'm looking forward to being able to do more regularly. Um, once the kind of grind of the campaign is over, um, is get, is get to running some more. And then on Sundays, I like to watch, um, I like to watch the Seahawks. I mean, hey. we had, um, <laughs> it's probably the most 
one of the most problematic things that I enjoy at this point still is <laughs> men's professional football. But, you know, we, we had a, um, uh, some sort of a campaign event that a, a really great neighborhood association um, was hosting recently. And it was just kind of an adjustment to be able to do it because it was held like pretty much right in the middle of a Seahawk game, which is typically the time when I'm winding down. So that was one time that I thought of, you know, the real, um, the, 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 the kind of imposition that I think running for office can, can bring, especially when you get down to the, the final stretches, it, it was, um, you know, something that, it was like I was really, really self-aware as a result of this candidate forum where it turns out there were also a lot of undecideds and some some people who were really dialed into the race. And I think it definitely changed a few minds. But um, it was that's typically a time where I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything other than trying to convince, you know, Pete Carroll to do whatever it is that I've decided is, is best for the team when we're watching the game. So it's, <laughs> it's between uh, it's between yeah watching watching sports and, and running. Nice. I used to, uh, that's kind of what I did. I actually took up running too. I, I hate running, but I took it up because I'm like, I just need a minute right. outside away from everybody. And that was how I did it. When I wasn't doing that, I was watching, I was indulging my uh, inner, I don't like reality TV, but I started watching Skin Wars on Netflix and that's how I survived. <laughs> All right. right. So, Sean, I really appreciate you sharing that stuff, man. Um, I want to ask you something that's a little bit more of a theoretical question, because I understand you do have a little bit of a background as an academic. You wrote a book called Millennials and the Moments That Made Us, A Cultural History of the U.S. from 1982 to Present, which congratulations right. on that, man. We're both kind of on the younger side. So finding the time to write a book, that's a challenge. Uh, but the question right. that I have for you is just simply this. So if you could answer this question, just one or two minutes, what do you think the role <laughs> of government actually is? What do you think it should be? And where do you want to go from here? I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I have a really, really clear answer about what government shouldn't be is it shouldn't be wealth management um, for some of our most privileged and, you know, most well-heeled financial institutions and major corporations. That's um, a controversial opinion, because I think when it comes down to it, there are a lot of people who think that government's role is really to be just that in one form or another. But I think that the role of government is supposed to be about distributing as much power downwardly as possible um, and putting as much of the big institutional decisions that guide public life in the public's hands. Um, so publicly owned utilities, uh, publicly accountable police and security forces, public wealth distributed to people who need it the most, um, public housing, um, socialized medicine. I think that, you know, government's role is, is really supposed to be about getting the power of the people um, to the people over, over really big institutional decisions. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's why one of the big things we've talked about a lot is corruption in politics, big money out of politics. And one of the claims to fame and, and shout outs that you got recently from the Sanders campaign was being not in the pocket mm -hmm. of Amazon. Um, but one of the right. things that also got called out is you got coupled in with a couple of other folks that are running in Seattle, including Shama. And this kind of we've seen this happen a lot. So in Seattle, mm -hmm. we have a lot of different candidates that identify as Democrats. Um, Shama identifies as a socialist and you identify as a Democratic socialist. And I know people tend 
tend to conflate mm-hmm. the two of you all the time. Um, what right. if when people do that? And I know sometimes it can it can hit in a weird way. Because you're like, no, it's not the same thing. Um, what does mm-hmm. being a democratic socialist mean to you? So does the does that differentiation actually matter between a democratic socialist, a democrat, and a socialist? How do you how do you fuse the two together and explain that to people who might not understand the difference in Seattle? Right. Well. You know, Councilmember Lorena Gonzalez at today's Amazon rally had a, I think, a really, really fun way of putting it where she was talking about resisting corporate influence and saying, this is an issue that you should be paying close attention to and you should be trying to resist corporate influence over our politics, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Democratic Socialist or whether you're a Democratic Socialist alternative, uh, which I thought was a pretty fun um, turn a phrase, but you know, the, the Democrat, of course, and Democratic Socialist is a lowercase d. It's not, it doesn't designate a party affiliation necessarily. It refers just to, um, you know, shared decision making in the public sector. And that was a term that was devised in the 1980s, I think, to really differentiate a new, new left and a newer kind of left from some of the regressive and repressive Soviet regimes that we saw throughout the 20th century. And so talking about democratic socialism, it's about shared public power as opposed to hegemonic public power, which is, I think, what we saw from some of the the larger Soviet states um, in the 20th century. But it's also the case that, you know, there's some flexibility with being a democratic socialist and our ideology that I think doesn't necessarily exist with um, some other socialist groups for whom running as a Democrat is a controversial opinion. I think that being a Democrat is a, you know, Democrat, a Democrat pop capital D is, a, is about a, a party label. It's not about an ideology. And indeed, we have seen many socialists run as Democrat, Democrats in recent years that I think have adjusted and expanded our expectations for what it means to be a Democrat <clears throat> to the point where, you know, it's actually socialists that are really the, the standard bearers and some of the most popular politicians in the Democratic Party in the country right now. So I don't personally see a necessary contradiction between being a, being a Democrat and being a socialist. I think that one can be a socialist and, and run as a Democrat and be a Democrat. I think we've shown that in our race where we've had a pretty radical platform that's talked about everything from decriminalizing sex work to redistributing wealth to publicly owned utilities. Um, and are also running as members of the 43rd LD Democratic Party and the 43rd LD Dems, I think, have a platform that um, is very, very far reaching and visionary and, and ambitious in what it's trying to do um, as far as returning public power to the public and taking power back from major corporations. I mean, the 43rd LD Democrats were, along with the 36th LD Democrats and other Democratic organizations locally, were really responsible for organizing the um, rally that we had today, pushing back against Amazon's corporate influence in our yeah. local elections. And so in that space, we had Democrats and Democratic Socialists and Socialist Alternative represented all towards the same goal. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I really don't think that there is a necessary contradiction. I mean, the contradictions between being a Democrat and being a socialist really come down to being, they come down to the nature of that particular candidate. And it's really, really clear, I think, that all Democrats are not created equally because me and Shama and Tammy Morales 
were all running against Democrats who were not invited to the rally today or who did not attend. So what that tells you is that um, there's, you know, as far as, you know, me and Tammy are concerned, there's different ways to be a Democrat. I think there's better ways to be a Democrat than what we've seen mm-hmm. over the last 35 years. I totally agree with you. I actually I was a Democratic Socialist and a Democrat, and that kind of blew people away. They're like, you can't be both. I'm like, actually, you can and you should. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly I right. Agree. When we were running yeah. Sarah's campaign and we were on the brand new Congress and Justice Democrats platform and our revolution, right? That was part of the mission right. was to redefine politics in a way that made it so that was actually representing people first, right? Not corporations. So I actually kind of like that. Uh, distinction. You mentioned some of these far left-leaning policies, and I kind of want to get into some of them because very recently you Mm -hmm. did something that was made some headlines. Uh, You might know what I'm talking about, where you went to the Police Guild's City Council candidate forum, and you wore a Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter hoodie, which uh, we shouted out out on the podcast. Yeah, (laughs) I loved it. That was a bold move. What did that feel like, man? What was it like to walk into that room? You know, I got to tell you, I used to be somebody who struggled with nerves with public speaking and I, I'd always get a little bit of an adrenaline hit or a real bout with self-awareness before getting ready to speak about any topic. And it happened that night. I remember feeling a little bit nervous going into the forum that yeah, night and some answers I actually wish I could have back, but I don't know if it's because of this particular forum or because I've just been doing more public speaking generally as a result of running this campaign for me particularly. And I know that there are some people who are listening to your, your podcast that feel the same way about public speaking, especially people from um, historically marginalized groups or people who have a history of personal trauma where, you know, sometimes speaking your mind could come with real physical consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I sp- I spoke at that that forum and I haven't been nervous in any setting with respect to public speaking since. Like since then, <laughs> I, I'm imagine. just really kind of like I can say anything to anybody. <laughs> it's like yeah. if this is what I actually think. I mean, you have to obviously, you know, you need to use your words to unite if you're a politician, I think, or somebody who's trying to build power for people who need power built in vulnerable communities in the city. But like. I have not felt nervous about saying for the most part, anything in the context of this campaign since then. And I think it had to do with the fact that um, after you go to the, you know, you go to a police forum and you tell them about your ideas for severing the link between contemporary racist policing and historical racism. And you speak, you know, what you, what you recognize as the truth to, a group that obviously has a lot of power. There's something really, really freeing about that. And so I think that that was part of the example that I guess I wanted to set personally. And it was no disrespect to any of the other candidates that made the decision to not go. As a matter of fact, my decision to go came about kind of, it came came about kind of quickly, almost like in an epiphany moment where I'm talking it over with my campaign staff. And we're like, it's actually a bolder statement for our campaign in particular mm-hmm. to go and that may have had, you know, an impact. My understanding is that there could have been some campaigns that may have joined if they had known that that was going to be our decision making process. And it's all part of the coalition building process that we want to we want to definitely get better at in the future. But, you know, speaking as a as a black male, and this was definitely the case that it would have been the only black candidate that was there, um, you know, on the left anyway, because they're you know, they're not so many that are that are running on the left. Actually, there aren't any right now that are running. Um, on the left, right. arguably, mm-hmm. um, it just felt 
like it would have some level of personal significance to me to make this statement as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that the results kind of, I guess, spoke for themselves where I feel like you had a lot of people that um, hated my guts perhaps, or didn't like a lot of what I had to say, but uh, applauded and other people who may have earned a, a begrudging respect for our point of view. And maybe some people who wanted to get educated about what police abolition actually is, rather than treating that as a slogan to immediately denounce, maybe they could realize that, hey, we had a literal abolitionist movement in this country at one point in time that was about ending slavery, but slavery persisted through the 13th Amendment. So when we talk about police abolition in the contemporary moment, what that means is ending the vestiges of slavery that survive and the vestiges of Chattel slavery that survived through contemporary policing and the rise of a prison industrial complex. I honestly legitimately think that there were not a lot of people that had even, it had even occurred to them that that was the case, but hopefully maybe there are some more people that realize that now as a result of us going. I think that's absolutely fantastic. That actually covered one of the questions we wanted to talk to you about. But I also think that that experience of like taking the risk and going into going into the belly of the beast essentially is especially with the, the mm-hmm. risk that we know with police bi- bias, with racial bias that exists in police in, in the police community. Um, taking that risk mm-hmm. and like using your platform, using your 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 shine, I guess you could say, to walk into this room and actually stare the beast in the mouth. I think that is that mm-hmm. is speaking truth to power being willing to to stand on that platform and speak back to the monster that's staring at you like that is speaking mm-hmm. truth to power because it's it's not just you in that room it's every young black man every young black woman every young person of color uh, every older person right. of color every person that's lived through that trauma it's that is that is them with you in that room well you're speaking to the people that are responsible for that fear of the police that these communities feel and i think it's hard for people to really right. grasp that and when they hear that phrase of abolitionism like abolish the police abolish ice i used to have run that problem when I talked about abolish ice, um, but they don't really understand mm-hmm. what that what that means. And so I think that the you touched on a little bit about the the police abolition, and you talked about um, pulling like getting back to those that Thirteenth Amendment that that reminiscent slavery that still exists. Um, so when people hear mm-hmm. police abolition, are you legitimately talking in a literal way about let's get rid of all the police, or is it what is your vision when you say that when you talk about police abolition? What's your vision for what comes into play instead? Yeah, so looping back just a little bit to kind of the um, just the, the recognition around what what actually going to this Seattle Police Officers Guild forum really meant. It is definitely the case that I think candidates like Council Member Sawant. Um, my understanding is that at a, at a certain point in time, that Nikita Oliver may have gone in Tammy Morales's stead. I think Tammy was um, celebrating Yom Kippur that night. I think that those, you know, Nikita obviously is somebody who is a mayoral candidate and Shama is somebody who um, is about as fearless as they come with respect to um, public speaking. I think that they they would have definitely have held their own. I think that in in that setting and in that context, it would have been an, a, an even more robust discussion. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, my decision to end up going where it was not necessarily clear that uh, maybe I was going to go at a certain point in time um, was not so much a decision that I think was made, um, you know, communicating and talking to every single person. It was really more about standing in the values of our campaign. And I think that links back to the, the question that you're asking about our vision for, for police accountability and police abolitionism, which we started to talk more about. You know, if somebody thinks that it's necessary to have a militarized police force and police 
officers that walk around with racial bias and police officers that kill people that are suffering through mental health episodes, especially when they're, they're disabled or uh, mentally ill folks. Um, that says more about their vision for policing. And in fact, actually, more than anything I'm saying actually affirms um, and validates the position of people who, who say we need to have no police whatsoever. I think that something like a community service officer program gets us in the direction where we actually have security for everybody. We have officers that understand what it's like to treat people that are going through mental health episodes. They're not armed. They have substances that people would be able to use if they're suffering through withdrawals. We don't have violent security firms in public schools or a school to prison pipeline that demarcates some people as more worthy of going to jail right off the bat before they even turn 18 than others. I do not think any of these things is necessary or productive. And I think these institutions actually do more to create the crime rates that then more militarized police are called upon to address than restorative solutions. I mean, the rates of recidivism are encouraged in many for-profit prisons and in many state prisons even that have, you know, public um, they receive public dollars, but have many services that are un underwritten by private firms so that there's an incentive to actually people coming in and out of jail repeatedly. All of this stuff is not necessary. So when I talk about abolition, I'm talking about getting rid of all of that. Um, and if somebody thinks, well, you know, if we don't have racist police, then what are we going to do? What that actually, that says more about where they're coming from, which is that they actually do think that there are colored hordes that need to be beaten back and that we need a militarized and aggressive police force to protect white neighborhoods and white property and white innocents. There are many people who believe that and it comes out based on how they respond to the idea of police abolitionism without me even explaining what it is in some ways. Yeah, I get that. And this is the destruction of property and protection of property is especially relevant when you talk about things like the police, because you think about like the riots and the pushbacks and uh, you think about the the protests that have gone from nonviolent to violent and people being more concerned about who's smashing storefronts. And it's really all just couched in this undercurrent of racism and racist belief. And mm -hmm. I, I always like to take those people and be like, yeah, there were a bunch of people that snuck into a privately owned piece of land and they they broke into private residences and they 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 destroyed millions in private property to start like an economic downfall that would that would force basically a, a, an actual war. And then I'm like, that was the Boston Tea Party, everybody. But like we glorify mm -hmm. one and we condemn another because we couch one in terms of racism with racist undercurrents. And then we just look at the other as some kind of historical event. And it's it's you lose that kind of resonance with people that there's there's sure. there's racism in everything that we do. And when we talk about especially with right. with police reform and with property destruction and this protection of private property. Now, this it's become this force to protect property. Um, you you right. it's easy to forget that racist undercurrent exists. So I think that's really important. And a really important part of that for people to acknowledge and recognize. And Jay is going to crush yeah. me if I don't let him ask you another question. <laughs> uh, no, this is a really important conversation, though, because as somebody who grew up grew up on a rich white side of town in Arizona and didn't quite look like everybody else, I'm really on just really pro this um, and really pro just police abolition in general. So it we could go on for this for hours. 
But I want to talk about another thing, which is corruption, right? And we're talking about corruption. We're talking a little bit about the corrupting force of the police and what it's turned into. But we also have this other issue, which is money in politics. And your race in particular mm-hmm. has received a, some attention because the case pack spent something like $700,000 in just your race alone, not to mention the multitudes of others. Uh, how has that impacted mm-hmm. your race so far? How have you, have you responded to that? Yeah, well, I think that what's going on is that there are a lot of everyday Seattleites and sensible Seattleites who have the feeling that local politics shouldn't be for purchase. I think that, you know, I know this from being a field organizer for Pramila Jayapal for, from, from, from doorbelling all over my district and district four doing organizing for other campaigns over the years I've had the opportunity to I think get a real sense of where the electorate is at in this in this era of Seattle politics and I think that what comes through for me is that there's a big there's a there's a general fear of bigness and of of largesse and when people feel like there are big unwieldy government programs like MHA the Mandatory Housing Affordability Act Mm -hmm. there's suspicion of programs like that from a lot of directions in Seattle. But for more moderate voters, for whom I think an attempt to author more social housing um, or more housing through a lot of corporate means, which I think is the main criticism that a lot of people have of MHA, which was authored by a city council that is perceived to be more liberal and more progressive, those criticisms hold equally for the imposition of a, of a big corporate money dump, like the one that we saw from Amazon. So that I honestly think there's a real potential that, that, and I've seen it directly in our race, that this is really going to extremely backfire. I mean, I think that, you know, voters who have concerns about corporate real estate speculation, for example, um, and have maybe been skeptical of my approach in this race, because I'm obviously a pro density candidate, but one Mm -hmm. who, wants to see the not-for-profit sector and the public sector make more of those decisions with respect to housing. When we're going to those voters and saying, actually, this fear of big corporations running roughshod over our neighborhoods that you have is really just not very founded with respect to our campaign. It's really the other guy that's getting all the corporate money that told the Downtown Seattle Association that condos are going to be a suitable response to our affordability crisis. so there's there's a real shift in perception that I think has happened as a result of this money dump. And you see it with some of the leading, you know, lights of the, the broadly defined left in this country weighing in on this race. I mean, I do not think that Robert Reich or Elizabeth Warren, who right. opined in this race first, or Bernie Sanders are perfect politicians by any stretch. But I do think that there's a lot of commonality between what they represent. And I think given the option between them and a lot of what passes for what it means to be a Democrat, most people who call themselves progressives would probably side on, on the side of the issues that those right. come down on. Right. Um, the so, fact that starting with, with Liz Warren, you know, is a big domino that fell and then falling from her, Robert, and then um, Bernie decided to opine in this race. I think it's activated this kind of um, anti-corporate sentiment that, can always go one of two ways in Seattle elections. It can always take you in the direction where it's going um, to the right 
but I think that what this has actually done is galvanize um, a left-leaning sentiment that is right. you know, going to be, I think, is going to bode well for a lot of the candidates that Amazon has at back. So one one question I want to ask you, just kind of like your opinion, your thoughts on. Then, so uh, you may be familiar with the District Three race between Egan Orion and Shama Swamp, and the ad I've heard that of he, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> once or twice, yeah, probably the ad that he ran in the Stranger with the front cover ad. Now we're really uh, incensed about it over here because we. We like public disclosure. We're a big fan of that. And Mm -hmm. the Seattle city also seems to be a fan of that. However, they just recently have announced their potential settlement of $1,000 of punishment for Egan Orion and his campaign. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that decision? How do you, do you think that's going to have a positive impact on Seattle city politics? What's your thought on it? Just as a candidate in the race, obviously a different one, but in the greater Seattle city council race. Um, I, I, you know, we're so focused on what's going on right now in district four. I mean, I'm paying attention to sort of what's going on in three, but, um, I, I really, I can't say for sure. I mean, I think that the fines, I saw this point made on Twitter. I think it was by, um, um, Paul constant that, you know, the fines for these kinds of infractions that we see where there's disclosure issues are so meager that it really is not much of a, of, of a disincentive um, from, from, you know, maybe kind of dealing in a, in a, a dodgy kind of way with respect to advertisements. And then I think, you know, Egan's got also his, you know, a, a real perception issue that he's got to deal with right now with the, the revival of this, this Benetton ad comment that he made yeah. on Facebook about looking for a brown baby and, yeah, you know, all of that stuff is something that he's going to have to ma- manage, and I don't know how this is playing in District Three. I mean, I spend all of my time for the most part in District Four, unless I'm zipping up to see my family or going to a candidate forum. Um, so we're just kind of really focused on what's going on more in in District Four. I think that's a good answer. Um, I'll tell you my feeling on it, and this is simply just money corrupts. And I think you put your finger on it when you were talking about how the fines are so meager. And this is my concern is that that type of thing will spill over, right? And we'll see more mm-hmm. and more of this type of spending by Amazon, right? Who can actually afford just to mm-hmm. dump more money into them through either straw donors, which I know technically don't exist, but in other ways that they can fund these kind of things. So it was a bothersome thing for me. I'm a something it's very near and dear to my heart because I think money corrupts in the political scene whenever you see it. And so things like the democracy voucher program are really powerful, I think, to combating that kind of stuff. So it it's good, though. Mm-hmm. I think you touched on that. And so I kind of yeah. want to get into um, something that is specific to your district, too. So I know that uh, Sanders came out in support of your race and told everyone, like, don't be ridiculous, vote for Sean Scott or something. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we know that there's been a little bit of hubbub about Pramila Jayapal not stepping in and passing along her endorsement. Um, what has been your mm-hmm. response to that? Do you guys have any of you? I know that I ran into something very similar during my campaign where uh, she endorsed my opponent, but it was I understand that it was an, an exchange for an immigration bill that really needed to be passed. And quite frankly, like you do what you got to do. You got to help people where you got to help people. And if that's going to help her secure that bill, I totally get it um, but I know the context is a little bit different for you guys because it's city in city council and it's you are really the only progressive that's running in your race so do you guys have any kind of response to that or has your campaign had any response to that do you have any feelings on that you'd want to share or any insight on that you want to share with us 
Well, I think that the the comment is, you know, often circulated that, um, you know, there could be reasons related to my performance on the job as an organizer for Pramila Jayapal that have to do with maybe why she's decided to stay out of the District 4 race in the general. Um, you know, she obviously didn't stay out in the in the primary and actually, you know, really, really came out brilliantly for um, Emily Myers's campaign um, in the course of a really contested primary, which I think leads to a perception, um, you know, a bit of a perception issue where people are thinking about, well, what was it exactly that Sean Scott did in the course of being an organizer with Pramila that led her to maybe not endorse us in this race? And I think you know, the, the part of it that has to do with speculation about job performance is, is laughable to me because, um, you know, we secured Pramila a resounding primary victory as a field staff, um, upwards of, um, 80% of the vote, I think, that she had gotten, um, whereas our goal was, you know, trying to crack 70. Um, and yeah, I was let go from, from, um, my, my role as a field organizer for Pramila precisely because, and my severance letter explained this, because there was really not the need for keeping on field staff in an election where you've already won the primary 84 to 16. Um, and this was explained to me. It was explained to me that, um, you know, the reason why, part of the reason why we were getting such a healthy severance package had to do with, number one, the fact that we unionized, which we can talk about later, but it also had to do with, um, as this, this, um, the explanation went to me that, um, you know, there was an expectation that I would have continued to fulfill, um, my duties as a field organizer in a proficient way. And so I was being compensated on that basis because there was recognition that with an unexpected layoff resulting from, um, actually overperformance. I could have put us in a bad way financially, but, you know, Pramila wasn't that kind of candidate. And so we were compensated very well on the way out. Um, I, I can't yeah. really yeah. pretend to know sort of what's in um, a given candidates, you know, calculus when they're thinking about endorsing or deciding not to endorse. Mm -hmm. All I know is that we're happy to enjoy the support that we do have. And um, we've been backed in this race by the, Teachers' Union. We've been backed by UAW 4121, that campus union for academic student employees, former legislators like um, Justin Farrell and Brady Walkinshaw, Jim Street. Um, and right now we're at a place where we're getting shouted out by federal representatives on Twitter who recognize that our campaign has the backbone and has what it takes to stand up against some pretty big corporate behemoths. And so there are some people I think who recognize the stakes for this election and who have chimed in. There are others who maybe sense the stakes, but maybe yeah. don't sense them as acutely and are making the decision to, um, you know, let things sort of play out electorally, but we're going to be organizing just the same. We're going to be hitting doors just the same and we're going to be it's good. fine as a campaign and we're going to continue to, you know, embrace and enjoy the support from everybody that, that uh, decides to back us. Awesome. I just want to say your stories like so many Americans where they just too, do too good of a job and that ends up putting them in a position <laughs> where their economic security is then challenged. And so uh, sorry you went through that, but 
Pramila has been one of our better congresswomen, so I'm pretty happy about that. So I'm glad you got her where she is. But uh, I think Sarah's yeah. got one more fun question to ask you, man, and then we'll let you go. I know you're probably ready to rest. Yes, I can imagine. So uh, I just have this. This is an important one. We don't ever like to end on heavy questions. Um, there's a Twitter mm-hmm. page called Sean Scott's Sweaters that shares fan pictures of your sweater sightings. So for everyone out there, That's where's great. the best place to get a good quality sweater? And are you a thrift store sweater guy? I really am. Um, I really, really am. The thrift store sweaters are uh, some of the best for me. Um, Did it get you a Macklemore endorsement, though? Because that's important. I know. Uh, Well, I'm trying to win the election. So, um, (laughs) you know, all we're talking, we've done a really hard pivot from talking about why um, Congresswoman Jayapal hasn't necessarily endorsed and whether or not we're going to be seeking Macklemore's endorsement. (laughs) I think some voters are probably going to have some whiplash over this turn in the conversation, but you know, <laughs> yeah, sweaters are, it's, it's, it's really, really important. You know, we, you sit there and you prepare running for office. And if you prepared, like I prepared, you think about kind of everything from the substance, which obviously takes up the bulk of your time and thinking about what the vision for the city and synthesizing feedback that you're getting from residents into a vision for the city. But a lot of politics is also theater and it's, it's also style. Like it's not only what you say, it's also how it comes off too. Um, and so, yeah, I decided that, you know, being, being uh, the black Mr. Rogers was, was really going to be something <laughs> I was going to try to lean into um, as far as the Toms and the sweaters are concerned. Um, and so it's fun to see that that, you know, has gotten, has gotten a little bit of attention because I think, you know, politics are supposed to be really, really serious and we're supposed to have committed public servants that think really, really deeply about the issues. And that's what I aspire to be. But it's also, you know, in in asking people to get engaged in politics, you're asking them to put up with a lot. And politics is really stressful. It can be anger inducing. It can be very triggering, especially and so if you have, you know, little things that you can do that can make it actually entertaining to follow, I think that, you know, there's some there's some joy and, and some fun in that as a campaigner, too. So I'm glad to see that the sweaters have, um, you know, have have uh, they haven't done anything to, you know, sh- shield me from the criticism of some of the folks on on next door in some of these neighborhoods. <laughs> but it's good to, you know, log on to Twitter every now and again and see people having fun with it. So. One of Sarah's good friends calls next door the place that you get to find out how racist your neighbor is. So I'm glad to hear you've experienced it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it oh, turns out door. very racist is, is the answer <laughs> yeah, for a lot of amazing. people, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very. But I know by the yeah. time this interview airs, we are going to be in the final week leading up to the election day. In this, what will be this final week, what can people do to help you win this election? Where can they find you? What can they do? What are the, the big things that they can get done to help make sure that you secure this seat in, your, in District 4 in Seattle? Yeah, come out and knock doors. I think, you know, we're, we've taken our, our field goals right now from the general or the primary election and just really has smashed them to bits um, because of our great volunteer turnout. And so we want to continue to have unreasonable, you know, volunteer turnout where people are just, you know, packing to the rafters with 20, 25, 30, 35 people every canvas, because, you know, there's only, 
only nine or 10 days left in this election. And, you know, for, for an election that has stakes that are this high, we don't want to have anybody thinking back more on what they could have done. And, and the most direct way that people can help right now, in addition to being one of the um, 1,300 wonderful donors that we've had to our campaign, I think is to join our volunteer list, which I think is, is pushing two or 300 people right now. Um, and coming out and grabbing a list, hitting 40 doors on a Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday, and then coming out to, um, you know, a, a pub afterwards and talking about how it went. And that keeps me grounded as a candidate. You know, I'm also out hitting doors as well. But when you have as many volunteers out as we're doing it, and they're bringing something to these interactions that I can't necessarily bring, hearing from them how things are going keeps me going. So uh, I think coming out and volunteering is, is one of the things that people can really do. So you can sign up at Scott 2019. Um, that's Scott, S-C-O-T-T 2019. Um, I, I had to like, I feel like I was almost going to have a Joe Biden moment there. <laughs> like, Joe, go to Scott 2019. Um, but yeah, you, you can do that and, and come out and it's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, I think this is going to be an awesome race to watch. We are going to hopefully have some folks on the ground at your election night party. I'm hoping if you're cool with us showing up, of course. Um, but we are this we're down to the wire. This is D4's election race. And thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you jumping in and, and getting on this call and being our first remote interview. So thank you very much, Scott. Sean Scott. We really appreciate you. Thank you. And Sean, one thank more thing. So have Again, one, all right. thank you yeah. for coming out. And hopefully after you're elected, You'll sit down with us for a presidential debate watch party, and we can sit down and we can just lampoon them all together over a beer. It sounds like it'd be a good time. Oh, can you imagine the? I never want to. I, I mean, they're they're just so bad. I mean, they really need to oh, find God. a way to just kind of shake this out a little it's bit a more. It's a disaster. And, and we, maybe just have five people up there. Hopefully, by the time <laughs> you know, you're elected and sitting in D 4s seat, there's only like a manageable single digit number of candidates we have to lampoon. So. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Sean. Well, my understanding is that, yeah, well, Pete Buttigieg at any point is just going to make this whole this whole shell explicit and just join the Republican Party. So we'll lose one when that happens. The the big stage, I think, will be (laughs) one candidate smaller when Pete just comes clean. Come clean, Pete. (laughs) America's ready for it. Come on, Pete, we won't butter judge you. You can do whatever you got to (laughs) do. Well, thank you so much, Sean. You have a good one. Later. Have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. an additional thank you to Sean Scott for popping by the studio by way of telephone and nice. uh, hanging out with us for a little bit and answering some of our a little bit more intense Well done you two. Questions. Well done. Thank you to Sean. Uh, if you guys haven't check him out, he's uh, on Twitter at electscott2019. Um scott2019.com is his website. Check Sean Scott out. He's great. And yesterday when Jay and I were prepping, um, he accidentally said tomorrow for the Michael Scott interview. No, no. Elect Scott. Elect, Elect Uscott.
Uh, he's definitely much more intelligent than Michael Scott. So that's true. Yes. Yeah. He's a super cool dude running in Seattle's uh, city council race in District 4. Um, he's the candidate who's not bought out by the uh, Chamber of Commerce and Amazon and all those big businesses. Um, he also is a historian, activist, longtime field organizer, and just community organizer. He wrote a book. Um, and he's a really interesting dude. So check him out. Find him on social media. Help him out. We're in the last throws before the election. Do stuff in the ele- week before the election. And you know why? Because he's a good, qualified candidate and should be in office. And he has nice sweaters and is an appreciator of good memes. Nice. Yes. He, uh, you haven't heard the interview yet, Corn. so I'll just tell you what he called himself, which was Black Mr. Rogers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I loved that comment. He's like, I love I'm it. Just, he's like, it. I'm just going to lean into that identity. Yeah. I'm just going to do that. Yeah, do yep. it. But he's, a, he's an amazing risk-taking candidate. I uh, helped us differentiate himself from other folks he's been getting lumped in within the race and like really hit, hit, hit it home. And so we really love talking to him. Had a really great time. It was our first ever remote interview. So if you are a candidate or if you are a person of interest who wants to talk to us or be interviewed by us, we now, if you don't live in the Seattle area, we can interview you from afar. And we'll find you if you don't find us. But if you want to find us, what you can do yes. is send a note. And I will say that I can't remember what our contact is, but you can send a note to Troy at BetterLeft.net or corn at betterlaugh.net um yeah we're, sh- can, we're sharing the guest load you can direct message our twitter account at better left cast or you can uh, message us on facebook at better left network or you can just scream out loud just scream into the void just scream we'll into hear the, you we'll, we'll hear you we're there we're, we're there we're, we are the void yeah. we're floating <laughs> so now it's time for the, the the winding down period of our podcast where we tell you about our palate cleansers oh, and it is Spooktober, and we're getting close to Ween. Ween. It's H-Ween. Spooky season. <laughs> so I am going to kick us off because it is Spooktober, and we're right at the tail end of Ween. We're getting close to my favorite holiday, Halloween. I love Halloween. I love scary movies. I am a big horror nerd, big horror fan. I could talk about Midsummer Forever because it's probably one of my favorite movies now. Uh, it's amazing. I haven't seen it yet. So good. Ari Aster tricks you into watching an art movie disguised as a horror movie. I read that somewhere. Super accurate. I love it. Don't it's spoil. It's so good. Um, so we are, this is the time of year that I love to get spooky. I love. I will sit like on the couch and not go anywhere in a costume. Like that's, the, I don't even care. I just love getting in, like sitting dressed up like a dragon. Is this it's the true. first Halloween with no obligation yeah. outside of because yes. I remember last Halloween was wow I was everywhere last Halloween it was amazing you were Daenerys right? I was Daenerys Targaryen and I still have that costume and it you were fits. a corn also, you were a da- you was a potato I don't remember oh uh, wasn't Hodor. he a monk or no, something no he was Hodor yeah you were Hodor yeah I and think so so I just so you guys know I'm very proud of this I've been back in the gym lately and I still fit into the Aphrodite costume that I wore when I was 20 years old mighty Aphrodite boom what was I I can't remember was I you were a T-Rex remember (gasps) yeah I'll Um, post some pics speaking of remembering things though we are going to remember some stories <gasps> from our lives. For our palate cleanser, for our very special Halloween Spooktober, Spooktacular mm. podcast that we are releasing, we are going to tell some scary stories. So everybody has a weird paranormal and or ghost story in their life. Yeah. Your encounter with the paranormal, because the veil is thinner on Halloween, because something, something, solstice, something. Uh-huh. Sam Hain. Sam Hain. I don't it's know a the band. reasons. Yeah, you live in Seattle. <laughs> yes. It's interesting. Um, so I will kick us off because I, mine is kind of crazy. So 
Okay. I don't know if it was a ghost. Don't know what it was. But I just, it was a weird thing that stuck with me forever. So I was like, I don't know, eight or nine. And I used to live in Connecticut. And if you don't know, there's a lot of old garbage in Connecticut, namely houses. A lot of old houses in Connecticut. Okay. And um, my friend, Laura, who crazily enough lives in Fremont and is a really cool artist. So we'll share a link to her Instagram. She's got great art. Um, So she has been a childhood friend of mine since forever. Her family should come from a family of architects. So they had this old half of their house, the old part of the house and the new part of the house. And so the old part of the house was from like 1760 something. It was crazy, super old. And then the new part was from like, I don't know, 1997. Um, The way that they remodeled the newer half of their house is there was a one long hallway that went down. So it looked from the, um, the way it was structured, the old living room looked straight down the hallway into the new living room. And the old living room was like all the old boards. They didn't change anything about it. It The craziest house was so cool. And so I slept over one night. I was sleeping on their L-shaped couch, which the way I was sleeping, I looked straight down that hallway into the old living room. And so I fell asleep on that couch. And I remember in my dream, I had I had this very vivid image of this woman who was it. Everything was dark in the house, and I could see the silhouette of this woman hanging. And I couldn't tell if she was hanging or hovering, but she was right there. And she I just saw her. She's this woman in like this old Victorian gown. She's just standing there. And I looked at her and I, I was like, who are you? And the figure turns and just starts sprinting down the hallway. And I, in my sleep, sat bolt upright, pointed down the hallway and just started shrieking. And my friend had to shake me awake. I've never had night terrors in my life. I have I have nightmares, but I don't have night terrors. That's the first and only time that has ever happened to me. And I got, I was cold when they woke me up. Totally cold. And I've never had another experience since. I would not set foot in that room. Scared the shit out of me. It yeah. is the, after that, like, I'm like, we're sleeping in your bedroom and I'm falling asleep in the living room ever again. So that's what we did. And I wouldn't leave her house at night, like or her door, her uh, bedroom at night because it just scared me too much. But like ever since that moment, I could not set foot back Sprinting in Sprinting at you. That yes. gives me the creeps. It what did she so look like crazy. again? Now she's she, sort of. I could see the outline of her dress. And when she was running at me. Like a nighty tra- kind of went, thing or a yeah, fancy? Ugh. Like a nightgown. And she was like running down the hallway at me. She transitioned from like the silhouette into like this. She was all like just all white and gray is what I remember. And she had like crazy hair that was flying behind her. She was running so fast and she was like reaching for me. I remembered that. That's when I pointed and I sat up and started screaming. She noticed your heart light. I don't know. Uh, This is some stuff like out of a James Wan. Wan? Wan? I don't know. Like the Conjuring director. That's who he is. Oh, sure, sure. Or like The Ring. Yeah, he did Insidious, Conjuring, a couple others. Uh, Because he does that kind of stuff with like the nun and that. Uh, yeah, no. And this predated I don't like it. the nun. This was like, like in 1998. <laughs> Wild. So, so you didn't really pull that from maybe some memory or a, or a movie or something you had seen no. in the past. You just nope. so, wow. I was too. I I had not begun my horror movie foray. I just uh, that was the first time I'd ever had any kind of encounter, quote unquote. Well, it's nice to know your brain doesn't need to be exposed yeah. to horror to invent its own. It's fantastic. <laughs> so that's mine. I don't know if any of you guys have one. Jay? No. You want to go uh, now, or I mean, I got mine. Mine is weird and creepy, ooh. but yeah. What do you want to do? Well, I'll tell mine real quick. Um, yeah. So, growing up, I, I had this condition called ornithine transcarbamylase deficiency, which meant that I couldn't digest protein correctly. It's in a house episode. Go watch it. It's like a documentary. Anyway, it wasn't um, lupus. It's what genetic. Is it called 
ornithine transcarbamylase deficiency. I am in research. Ornithine transcarbamylase deficiency. Yeah, I'm in research article. Ornithine banthar's man trap. Banborg's mm. identity. Mm-hmm. Yes. identity. Assimilation. We did it. <laughs> and, and so it's genetic though, right? So men in my mom's family, from, from my mom, uh, and from the women in her family, they typically will get this uh, disorder. And the reason it's important is because it basically kills you. Right, I'm one of the rare cases where it didn't. Now, what happened with my mom's grandmother, she actually had three sons. And th- all three of them died at different ages when they were younger uh, from this condition. Now, when you were in E olden times, as I call it. Um, the olden. 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't usually have the money to afford a graveyard plot. So oftentimes people would get buried on the property that they owned. Okay, so I'm guessing this was not the 90s. <laughs> no. Not the in the 1990s. 1890s. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it was in California. And so all three of these young boys had, were buried on the property, which they later built a house over. Spooky. Right? Super, super spooky to begin with. I need with. you to say that one more time, but yeah, slower. Yeah. <laughs> um, they later, they built, they buried these three children on the property and then built a house over it. Okay. Which feels has, like don't do that horror movies one on one. Has anyone watched Poltergeist? Come on. Well, they didn't exist then yet, so they didn't know they, they, <laughs> the didn't, have they didn't the have the wealth warning. of information that we have now to know. True, better. very true. Mm-hmm. So it's a shame. I would sleep in that house with um, because that house was still in my family, and so we would go over there, and I would stay in one of the back rooms. Nope. And every night you would hear people walking through the halls. No, no, no. I want to tell everybody right now, it's like they want to scream, get out of that house, Jay is a child. Get out of that Arby's. Yeah. And so, (laughs) and so this is a couple stories. So my mom lived in that house when she was younger. And so she would tell a story about how she would sleep in the room. One of the rooms at night was actually built right over the graves and the children were buried. No. The children were buried (laughs) under the closet there. Ah! And so what would happen is. This is breaking all the rules. My mom and her sister would share a bed because they had a large family, and a lot of people did back then. And one night, my mom and her are uh, in bed, and my mom gets slapped across the face. Excuse me, sir? And my mom starts beating up my mom. <laughs> because she's like, why did you slap me? Why did you do that? And she's like, I didn't do it. So they, and my mom tells the story to this day. They go to the bathroom, and in the mirror, she sees she has a large handprint over her face. Much too big to be my uh, aunt's. And so in the same house, when I would stay there at night, like I said, I would hear chill, or I'd hear things walking through the house. You could hear the floorboards creak. You could hear like things shifting in the house. Um, and one time I got up and I went to go into the hallway because I'm an idiot. And I remember staring at one of the light, uh, the light fixtures. And the light fixtures were the same ones that were in there from when my mom was a kid. And they had children on it. And it looked like the kids were moving. And I was just like, no. Why nope. did they have children on the light switches? Because when you were in the 1950s and 40s, you made everything as creepy as possible. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yes. Also, you really like, went yeah, out of your way. Victorian era time when they made yep. things out of dead people's hair. Yeah. And, and so Definitely I, not cursed. I wouldn't yeah. sleep. I like. I didn't like sleeping in that house. I didn't like being in it. It always felt super creepy. And to this day, my uncle one time forced my cousin into the room where the closet Why? is. Why? And he... Because <laughs> men bunch are of, terrible. There was a bunch of stuff in there. It was my cousin and one of his friends. They shut, He shoved him in there in the dark and he pulled the door shut on them as if he was the spooky ghost except they said there was a third person with him in the room 
And so, yeah, so that house is officially haunted. You don't uh, go in there. Creepy. And it is a 100% the reason why I'm 100% against Ouija boards. I was just going to ask that. <laughs> but what about the original Ouija board? It's not the, the spirit new board? One. No. No, no, no. This no. has been a running a <laughs> running fight in our in our partnership because Jay will not let me bring a Ouija board into the house. So I have to go to my friend's house who happens to live next door to a graveyard and I can use it there. I've been cleared to use it. There. Okay, but I do want to tell you also I I support Jay's resistance to the Ouija board because I mean, I've got two just hanging out with the original planchette so i'm let's go do it but not yeah. not in front of jay not in front of jay yeah. i am owed a seance for my birthday oh so my gosh and that's right if you bring ghosts home you don't have a home anymore <laughs> no they don't come with there's you there's no such thing as a homeless ghost Aww. okay no it'll live inside you no they're not formless in my house. not houseless oh sorry formless not. and the, honestly the tale of four cities really yeah and your fear is oh where they God. live <laughs> All right, well, so here's my story. Um, when I was younger, um, I uh, babysat my cousins as the oldest cousin. So my family, uh, my aunts, whom I loved, they would all go out and you know do their thing. And I was babysitting my cousin Jason. And it was literally a dark and stormy night over in uh, Pierce, Pierce County. It was very quiet. And uh, the... Um, it was raining, windy, power goes out. And kind of a normal occurrence, you know, uh, when you kind of get out there a ways. And you could hear the wind whipping and the whole thing. And, you know, when everything is silent, it's you hear, like, the settling of the house and all of that. And this is actually a newer home. Um, well, I fell asleep. And then in the middle of the night, I opened my eyes and... Weirdly, everything was gray, grayscale. But I can notice every single nook and cranny, and I thought, I'm I'm dreaming. But I'm looking up at the ceiling, and I can kind of see the fixture of the ceiling and some other like stuff on the walls. And um, but then I noticed something to my left, and it was a wooden stick that was about, I want to say, five feet tall with spindly stick legs and spindly stick arms. Now listen, it's looking, like you can tell it's looking and it has its arms out like it's blind and it's looking around. And I was filled with so much terror that I was like, I've got to get to my cousin's room before it does. And slender I, Man. It was, but it slender was weird. Jams. It was Slender Jam. Uh, yeah, it was Slender, um, slender Jim. Jiminy. Um, <laughs> Jiminy Stickett. And he, he, I uh, presume he was he. They? The way that the, no, the, the way that the legs were, he kind of had a little. Don't gender your ghost. Yeah. Well, it, and he it, looked like trash. He looked like. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. There we go. Okay. But he was, he. yeah, so he's long and skinny and, and, um, and it was creepy, but the, it was the blind part that was creepy, like walking around and looking and. Would it be creepier if the stick had eyes though? Well, what was it using <laughs> to find me? <laughs> like, you know, That's like true. some kind of ghost power, but I was paralyzed and couldn't move. And I'm feeling with terror and I'm feeling with terror and I'm trying to lift my arms and lift my legs and I could not. Um, I, and then the stick stopped 
with its hands or arms, just like its and got and kind of turned and faced me, walking very slowly towards me and doing that kind of like, I know you're here thing. And I was like trying to scream. I was trying to, and I finally, literally, sat up and swung my legs around because I'm like, I'll kick a stick. <laughs> I'll kick you in half. <laughs> and as I did all of that, I got up, like forced myself against all I could, and I swung my legs to, you know, do as you would, the nighttime swing around, kick yeah. it down, you know, move. The high kick. Yeah. It, uh, my legs went through it, and the, everything went back to color. And I'm Excuse like, me? what in the world? Like, I could see color. And that is how Troy developed his fetish for very thin brown men. That is true. <laughs> so long as they give a good spanking. No, I mean, kicking. I'm not done. <laughs> so there's more. I'm like, I got, I'm like, I'm my heart's racing. And I go in, I'm like, I'm going to check on the, you know, you, what do you do? Check on the children. You know, they like yeah, always have to. I mean, I would find Open the dog. Open my, oh. uh, my, my cousin Casey, sound asleep, everything's fine. Opened up my cousin Jason. Uh, and he was a toddler. He's standing in his crib, awake. And Children I, are so creepy. Oh my Toddlers god! This is creepy. I tell this story to him and to the family regularly. Um, At Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, hey, Jason, are you all right?" And he says, "I'm like, okay, like what's <laughs> happening here? I'm looking around for a stick, honestly, yeah. for stick man." <laughs> And Slenderman. I, but I walk, uh, yeah, Sliverman. It's more like yeah. Sliverman because he was a wooden stick, like a, a not like a tree stick, stick but like a old timey wood with lots of splinters. Anyway, so walked up to Jason and I'm like, Jason, what's going on? And he said, Can you hear it? No. Eyes no. wide open, looking at me, and I'm like, Jason, what do you hear? And he says, The silent whisper. No. No. And I was like, go to bed. <laughs> You're grounded. It's, yeah. Go to bed, toddler. It scared the shit out of me. Just like, I know that it was night terrors. and I know that that thing, but to go into his room and he literally, and he remembers that the thing, no power, the silent whisper. And I'm like, you take that back. <laughs> uh Listen, but the funny thing is, even if you know it's night terrors, even if you know the scientific explanation for it, it doesn't change the way the experience, right? It's just like, there was something fucking spooky as shit in there. And I I had a, I used to work overnights. And so overnights are always creepy no matter what you do, because your brain is just doing all kinds of weird things. Was it at an asylum? Yes. And yes. my house. And <laughs> where you were kept, yes, in the basement actually during this what, period, <laughs> on, on top of the grave. Site. What a, yeah. one of my coworkers sent a message in our group chat one day, and they said, "Hey, I got to go check on my kid." I was like, "What's going on?" And he says, "He says the shadow man's in the other room again." <sighs> oh, I've had. Them. I would be like that. Just you'd lock all of your doors, and you just put your child in a on a bus and you ship him to boarding school and you just never talk to them again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had night terrors where uh, black inky things crawl through windows as shadowy figures. Yeah. No. I just have 
like stress dreams about my actual life. Yeah, same. No, <laughs> that's I, all I do now. Yeah, I dream about things I'm supposed to do and then forget that I didn't yeah, actually or like, do them. I hear like one of the weirdest times is I heard like I had this nightmare that's so vivid and there's nothing nightmare about it. I just was in this state of such tension in my sleep that yeah. it just it was a normal day and I was having like normal conversations, but I'm like it's coming. And I could like no. vividly hear my friend's voice as he was telling me something in my dream to the point that like I woke myself up to respond. And I was like, oh, I'm in bed alone. You know what was coming? <laughs> you know what was coming? The work day. Yes. Um, I just want to point out while we've been talking about this, a giant ass spider ah, climbed up no. the wall and it's it. behind there now. Spooky. So we got some real uh, screams. It's real. It's behind that right now. No, okay, it's no, 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 I'm primed. If I'm you primed. Just leave it, if you just leave it back there and you don't see it, is it really even there? No. <laughs> no, no. It's in my brain now. It's not. It's not even really there. It's just, I can't believe it's there. Corn, do you have any weird ghost stories? No, or? and that's no? what I was going to say is like, I don't know if I should be proud or jealous. <laughs> proud because everyone yeah. thinks that they yeah. have one corn's like not me i don't know i just have like <laughs> no ghosts. dreams about plane crashes and weird or like, things like that. The, the horrors Trauma. are yeah the horror yeah. The, the like the scary stories are about actual real humans real, life horror. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real, real humans let me know yeah. well i feel like cell phones have ruined it and the reason i say that is because in the past when you were laying down to bed it was just you and the creepy ass dark yeah fuck that that's true no and, i yeah it really was oh i don't know if i'd go back to that yeah and now it's like <laughs> you like old age times you know, all right, come on. Oh, oh my God. God. That is the best friend spider I've ever oh, seen. All right, let's add. Let's add. Oh, my God. That's that's moving. Sarah, take us out. No. Well, guys, thanks for listening to the Better Left podcast. You got a chance to listen to, to the Sean Scott interview and uh, join us next time and on election night for coverage. And we hope these spooky. It's the size of a we hope the we hope these spooky stories were as good as the, they were for us. Thanks, everybody.